This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Matt Splained. My name is Rich Bradbury. Uh, what have we learned? Um, it's a question Matt Armitage tries not to ask too often. He says it's because it interrupts the flow of cosmic knowledge into his quantum core or something. Uh, at BFM, we think it's because he's a goblin on the verge of a breakdown. Right, Matt? Hey, Rich. Um, that's probably not too far from the, the truth. And I'm, I'm glad, actually, you mentioned uh, goblins. Um, not that I am one. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, the it's this whole thing about goblin mode that suddenly appeared this year. And the weird thing is, the whole discussion of this passed me by in the most ironic way. I missed being part of the conversation about Goblin Mode because I've spent most of the year in (laughs) Goblin Mode. See, I told you it was ironic. Um, So if you're still wondering what the term means, um, then that's because you're probably in goblin mode as well. Mm, mm. It was uh, the Oxford English Dictionary's term of the year, and it basically means letting yourself go. You know, slobbing around on the couch, aimlessly binging rubbish on your least hated streaming platform, uh, immersing yourselves in uh, uh, reels, talks, and I was going to say tweets, but that's for trolls, not goblins. Um, And, you know, eating an endless stream of junk food uh, and wearing your stale food crumbs with pride. I I think this, yeah, during the pandemic lockdown, there was that period where you're like, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to get myself a rowing machine, I'm going to do all of those things. That lasted about a week. And then the goblin slowly creeped up and you're like, I'm far more comfortable in this mode. But that's the whole point. You know, the the world is supposedly open again. So goblin mode is self-imposed, whereas the lockdowns were an imposition. (laughs) That's right. Um, You know, and that kind of tells you what kind of uh, year this has been. Um, You know, I'm not going to ask you what kind of year you've had, but, you know, genuinely at the start of this year, I was quite optimistic. Mm -hmm. It looked like we were coming out of the worst of what had happened during the pandemic. The world, you know, it looked a bit more open again. You know, there was still bureaucratic hurdles to to traveling, but it was starting to open up again. Mm. But wow, you know, we thought 2020, COVID year zero was bad, but somehow 2022 has been worse. Mm. And I don't think I know anyone who has had a genuinely good year. Um, You know, it's not just those global factors. It's not just the cost of living crisis. It's like we've stored up all of this angst and tragedy over the past couple of years. And it's sort of been let loose like the kind of particle beams in a super collider. People are (laughs) tired and angry, they're apathetic and they're impatient all at once. And like I said, you know, this is goblin mode. It's like this self-imposed version of what we went through in 2020 and 2021. Um. Just a quick hot take on this and a quick question. Is the rest of the show going to be this cheery? Oh, I hope so, because without this show, I'd be spending a lot more money on therapy. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I don't want to be uh, overly negative. Um, We will talk about the good stuff as well, even though it kind of feels like it's hiding under a lava stone at the 
back of a dusty armoire. Um, do I get <laughs> bonus points for saying the word armoire in a show? I, I think we can give you some bonus points, yeah. Okay, um, that's that's actually been one of my go-to bright spots uh, recently, watching clips from the US version of the Antiques Roadshow. Um, that That's kind of really <laughs> brightened up my day. There was a guy with a, a 1950s acoustic guitar that turned out to be worth $40,000. What? Um, yeah, there was an old lady who had this enormous china dish that she sometimes lets her cat sleep in, and she found out it was... 350, nearly 400 years old, and it's worth $200,000, possibly the world's most valuable cat bed. Um, (laughs) And the other kind of bright spot for me has been watching clips from that reality show Hoarders in the Mm -hmm. US, you know, where people keep lots of junk and their houses fall apart, because that reminds me that my goblin mode is nowhere near as bad as it could be. Um, and sticking with that on the a lot worse front, um, I've watched a lot of those uh, New York apartment hunting, apartment letting videos, mostly the ones on Cash Jordan's channel, mm. which reminds me that at least I'm not paying the cost of that antique guitar to sleep in a cupboard in one of New York's outer boroughs. Okay, um, let's start with ingenuity then. Okay, so yeah, ingenuity usually goes in the positive column, right? So I'd, I'd hope so, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, well, it's in the negative column this year. Of course. Because, of course. Um, largely because we've seen a lot of lethal ingenuity this year, especially from the defenders ah. of Ukraine. So mm. things like using crowdfunding platforms to raise money for uh, equipment and supplies, uh, turning consumer drones into military surveillance and even munitions uh, carrying weapons. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, simple messaging apps have been used by both sides in the conflict to gather intelligence and spread word about personnel movements. So we've also seen a sort of concurrent increase in the deployment of jamming equipment to stop those uh, agents and spies or whatever using those same tools to share intelligence. Uh, It's also been a a road test for Elon Musk's Starlink satellite internet service, which has been providing coverage in parts of Ukraine where local broadband infrastructure has been destroyed. Mm. And, you know, that's a really great thing to do. But of course, the world's richest man rather blotted his copybook on that one by querying who was going to pay the bill for Starlink's work. But, you know, credit where credit's due. Are we already on to Uncle Elon now already? I mean, we're only like, what, six minutes into the show? No, we've got plenty more meltdowns before we get there. Um, Now, Obviously, we've seen um, uh, a lot of sort of negative shocks in a lot of business sectors this year, mm-hmm. uh, but crypto and Web3 have been especially hard hit. So we've seen the prices of currencies like Ethereum and Bitcoin drop massively as part of uh, this overall trend that's being branded as the crypto winter. Uh, so crypto had a fantastic pandemic. You know, people with stimulus checks were um, merrily trading currencies and buying and selling NFTs uh, and graduating from one mysterious level to another. Uh, Terms like, you know, DeFi and gas fees have been mainstreamed. uh, And people finally stopped asking me what the blockchain was, although (laughs) uh, as they would usually equate blockchain with Bitcoin, uh, 
maybe I shouldn't have stopped explaining it to them. But, um, you know, everybody's got Google if they choose not to use it. And why disturb your goblin mode, right? Exactly. Um, I've also been deep in a hole of slow motion videos this year. I keep telling myself that it's science. I'm watching physics in action. Um, But really, I just like watching things explode at a million frames a second. And who doesn't want to watch a bunch of Australians dropping a two-ton axe on a fridge in slow motion? You've been watching those too. How ridiculous. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, But yeah, uh, crypto. So uh, lots of high profile collapses this year. Um, They've taken the crypto market from what some reports estimate at a value of uh, $3 trillion in late 2021 to around $900 billion today. So the Mm. market is down by about two thirds on its peak. In fact, over two thirds. Uh, I think the first sort of big shock was around May when the Singapore based uh, Terra USD. Uh, a currency pegged to the US dollar collapsed. Uh, This was in part due to its relationship with an unpegged token called Luna. So the two currencies were supposed to create stability in the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the collapse in value and subsequent uh, sell-off sent a ripple throughout the kind of wider crypto economy, uh, sending token prices crashing and wiping out around half a trillion dollars in value in the space of uh, a couple of weeks. I mean, uh, you're a bit more active in this space yeah. than me. How have your crypto holdings done this year? Oof, I've, I feel as though I've been kicked, um, but um, I have been very lucky because uh, I got in, as you know, quite early uh, when I bought into my crypto holdings, and I've really only bought into uh, mainly um, Bitcoin and Ethereum very early on. Uh, so uh, touch wood, um, I'm still in profit. Uh, but uh, the other thing is, when everybody else was going crazy buying their NFTs and doing all of that stuff, my gut reaction was like, Richard, stay away from this. And I stayed away from that. Uh, and so I feel, I'm not going to say happy, but I feel as though I made smart decisions uh, because this is technically not my first crypto winter. Yeah, exactly. So we'll we'll get into that uh, in a second um, because you know that was just the beginning. Um, yeah. We've also seen the collapse of a couple of large crypto-based lenders, uh, Voyagers Digital and Celsius mm-hmm. Network, uh, as well as Three Arrows Capital, which was a, a crypto hedge fund, which was also based in Singapore. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, for a lot of the retail investors, these collapses have had a devastating effect on their savings. I mean, we even heard about people who had took out loans in fiat currencies to put into crypto, which, you know, there's no yeah, way know. that's a good idea. But no. Um, and as you said, the the sort of more seasoned or veteran players have been through this cycle, this this winterification before. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you, you know, they're a bit more diversified. They've been preparing to hibernate until the markets recover. Uh, but what I don't think anyone was expecting was that shock collapse of FTX last month. Mm-hmm. Um, so unlike uh, the other platforms, FTX, it's a major cryptocurrency exchange. Um, and it was a place where there were a lot of, you know, of these kind of complex financial instruments like derivatives. 
Yeah. So its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, I mean, he's been fated by the press. Um, he's been on the cover of titles like Forbes magazine. He became the face of the so-called altruistic capitalism movement, which promotes the accumulation of wealth in order to give it away. I think he's supposed to have given away something like $2 billion to help fund presidential campaigns in the last election. Um you know, and he was celebrated for eccentricities like playing video games during meetings and always wearing shorts. Turns out <laughs> they probably weren't eccentricities. Um, so at its peak, the company was valued at around $30 billion and SBF, as he's known, was worth as much as $16 billion. Uh, it all started to unravel, I think, around September, October, when FTX offered to step in um, to save a company called BlockFi, a distressed crypto bank, uh, with an offer of around $400 million. And at first, this played out positively. It looked like FTX had become such a sort of major player, such a force in the market, that it could play a stabilizing role. Mm. But it later turned out that BlockFi had substantial holdings in FTX's own tokens. Can I just say... This could be the closest to reportage you've managed this entire year, Matt. Uh, do you think that's something else I've learned? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, of course, while all of this was uh, playing out, Coindesk, one of the major crypto news sites, put out a piece on Alameda Research, which is another uh, SBF-owned currency trading platform, uh, which alleged that the company... Uh, held what the Washington Post framed as an outsized holding of um, FTX-issued currencies. Mm. So this led to Binance, uh, which is, or which was, well, I guess still is, both a partner and a competitor to FTX, liquidating over $500 million of its holdings of uh, FTX's FTT tokens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, a year ago, all of this would have seemed like ancient Greek to most of our listeners, but now everyone understands it. That's how mainstream this stuff yeah. has become over the last year. Yeah. So Binance's move caused a run on the coin. Its values plummeted, and there was, you know, the the crypto version of a bank run. Uh, withdrawals were halted because the uh, and uh, sorry, withdrawals were halted, and then the company was forced to file for bankruptcy. Binance also held out the possibility of a, re uh, a rescue, but essentially declined after viewing FTX's financials, which of course is what precipitated that bankruptcy filing. All of this is still playing out. SBF was arrested in the Bahamas this week at the request of the US Justice Department. Uh, and it seems that uh, FTX customer cash may have been improperly loaned to Alameda to bridge risky or failed investments that that company had made. Um, interestingly, the company's new CEO, its administrator, is a veteran of the Enron uh, energy company collapse in the early noughties. He claims that FTX is actually far worse yeah. and cites a complete failure of corporate control, the likes yeah. of which he's never seen in his career. Yeah. Um, okay, as exciting as it is, We've got to head for a break soon, but what do you think this indicates, um, in your opinion, for crypto in general? Um, I mean, I, I mentioned kind of mainstreaming for a reason. So crypto markets are becoming increasingly commingled with the traditional economy. You're seeing a lot more traditional hedge funds and traders, you know, taking positions 
in the kind of Web3 space. Uh, when crypto was a fringe playground for investors, people who had a, a large risk appetite, that was fine. Mm. Um, now, though, it increasingly poses systemic risks to the traditional financial system, uh, not yet on the scale that, uh, you know, maybe derivatives and subprime loans did during the last financial crash, but close enough that regulators are now seriously looking at ways to rein the sector in. Yeah. Now, we don't know how this is going to play out. It's hard to say how central banks and uh, decentralized finance are actually going to coexist in the long term. Uh, but, you know, just simple steps, regulatory steps like mandatory um, insurance deposit schemes could help to mitigate the risk to retail investors at the kind of smaller end of the market. It would also likely force companies to adopt the kind of governance and ring fencing of customer funds that seems to have been missing at FTX, which is not to say that, you know, any of those failures are being repeated on other exchanges. There's no reason to, to you know, suggest that. Mm -hmm. But at this point, anything that helps to shake out the shady operators and shores up public confidence in blockchain, uh, crypto and Web3 in general, has to be to the benefit of, you know, the overall industry um, if it comes at the cost of some of the people who aren't playing by those rules. Mm -mm. Okay, um, I'm not sure yet how we're going to get to that positive stuff. Uh, we haven't touched on Twitter yet. Uh, let's see if Matt can put a smile on my face after the break. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9. Bold, fearless Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt's Plain. My name is Rich Bradbury. We're back, and of course, and I'm ready to smile. Well... I put a smile on your face when I introduced you to uh, Mid Journey, um, but you know you've gone way further down the rabbit hole than I have. So I think the smile may have turned to a kind of fixed grin and thousand-yard mm. stare. Um, would you like to explain yourself? No, not really. Um, well, <laughs> it all started off very innocently. Um, of course, you introduced me to it. I mean. I worked with it briefly in August, uh, and I tested it out in August. So I think that's. We, we'd mentioned it before. Anyway, and I got it to generate a couple of things, very simple stuff. It was like, draw me a sumo wrestler, make it cyber, you know, and it spat something out, and it was interesting and kind of cool. Um, but that was August, and of course now we're in the end of December. Uh, and it's had so many iterations since then that what it was spitting out was absolutely mind-blowing to the point of I couldn't believe how – um, create, I want to use the word creative and I can't really use the word creative. Um, I guess I can, how creative the algorithm had become perhaps. Yeah. Um, and that put me in a position where not only do I want to play with this thing, uh, more regularly, but I was willing to give money to be able to continually play with this thing just to see how, again, creative the algorithm could be. It, and, and yeah, yeah, I'm gonna leave it at that. 
Yeah, uh, I should point out that Richard is now sending me around 20 images a day from his uh, experiments on this thing. And um, despite only having had the the uh, the conversation or, or rather he only getting interested in it again a couple of weeks ago, he's yeah. way beyond what I'm doing and he's adding in all kinds of other tools as well. So uh-huh, um, it's uh-huh. it's kind of cool for, for me. So I'm kind of at the nexus of... Uh, various people who are using this tool and showing me how to do it so i don't have to think about it <laughs> this is the so thing it's yeah. nice. you were the gateway uh, put it that way yeah yeah i've introduced a lot of people and now i'm benefiting from the research they're doing because i just mm, say mm. how do you do how did you do that exactly just copy their technique and I, I think the idea of you creating research assistants is is very sneaky matthew very sneaky yeah, it's not a bad idea. There's a business model for 2023. Um, Indeed. But um, yeah, we we must uh, quickly touch on good old Uncle Elon before we leave the electrons for the protons. Uh, mm. I'm a neutron, of course. I'm always neutral. Uh, now, we've talked about um, Twitter in so much depth over the past six weeks. I'm not going to go through with any detail. Um, in a nutshell, I think around March or April of this year, Elon decided he wanted to be king of Twitter. Um, Then he decided he didn't want to be king of Twitter. Then Twitter tried to force him to be their king. Mm. And then he told them that they were lying about their kingdom and that their palace was actually a hovel. But then he decided he wanted to be king again. And now he is the king. And basically... People don't like new Twitter, apart from all the people who do like new Twitter. Advertisers have got their doubts about new Twitter, uh, especially as the king sacked most of the people who made Twitter a place the advertisers could imagine being. Mm -hmm. Uh, He may now get into trouble for turning the offices of his kingdom into a giant dormitory for the courtiers he still possesses. Uh, And of course, Donald Trump is back on Twitter, except he isn't because he's got his own Twitter, but it's not a Twitter that anyone uses. Is there anything I've missed? I don't know. I think maybe we should have probably not spoken about Twitter today and maybe recorded another show tomorrow because knowing (laughs) Elon, he would have done something stupid. Tonight. Yeah. Tonight. He'll change it again. Yeah. He'll, he'll, He'll change its name to Rotter or something this evening. But yeah, throughout all of that, you're supposed to have learned something. Well, um, I I think I did. I think most of us have learned something. Um, and by the way, for for fans of Musk, uh, Brad Musk, Richard's mm. signature scent will be available soon. Um, as for for what I've learned, I mean, I guess all of this makes the tech bro era of the the last 10 years you know people like jack dorsey it makes it seem like a cuddly relic right that's how good a year 2022 has been it's made mark zuckerberg look approachable he's no longer (laughs) the world's number one tech supervillain. um you know i imagine he's really happy that the heat is on someone else especially given the current performance of uh, of meta uh The rumor that uh, Mark Zuckerberg has asked Guillermo del Toro to transform him into a real boy is sadly entirely (laughs) untrue. Um, I know that for a fact because, you know, I just started the rumor. But I did 
do a talk a couple of weeks ago. And one of the guys listening jokingly asked if Mark Zuckerberg was an alien. And there was a hush in the room. You could, you could sense people kind of wondering whether it was a serious question. And it's not a good thing when a room full of legal professionals are asking questions about whether a tech boss could be from another planet. Um, I think something, something else that's good and has come out of all of this uh, is that all the big tech guys, the politicians, and a lot of business people agree on how much they hate quiet quitting. I thought this was supposed to be the positive part. It is. Stay with me on this yeah, one. Uh, um, okay. We, we covered quiet quitting a few months ago, which despite the name, it doesn't have anything to do with quitting. It mm. means doing your job, but mm. not doing more than your job or doing someone else's job. And it kind of marks an end to that millennial hustling culture. Uh, and it pu pushes us towards that future dominated by Gen Z, Zuma workers. Now, I can see why quiet quitting would annoy employers because it increases their costs. But when I look at it with my economist head on, if your business model relies on the free labor of your workforce, it's not a sustainable model and it doesn't give a transparent representation of your true costs. Mm. Now, people may argue that, you know, we're in a period of inflation. So if you increase wages to cover those additional hours or if you employ more staff, that would make inflation worse. Uh, I would refer them back to Joseph Stiglitz, the Nobel laureate economist, whose uh, recent work points to a big chunk of the, the causes of the, the current inflationary pressure being related to supply chain bottlenecks over the last couple of years, as well as companies increasing their prices above inflation to boost their profit margins. So this is why I see quiet quitting as a positive act. This is about an entire generation saying, no, we want something different from our mm. working lives, from our professional lives. You know, millennials, fine, you go ahead and hustle. Find your identity in your work. We're going to work for a living and look for our passion outside what we do from nine to five. Mm. It's not laziness. It's not a lack of ambition. It's a different set of priorities. And I think overall it's good for businesses too, because although it increases costs in the short term, it forces them to, to bake resilience into those business and operating models. You actually started to sound reasonable again, Matt. Well, I'm being reasonable by being unreasonable, or at least by saying, you know, what a lot of management efficiency types think is unreasonable. Uh, you know, it's one of the interesting things about what's happening with Twitter. And I think I picked this point up from another economist, um, a guy called Robert Reich. So there's a, a been a tendency to treat labor as a unit of production. So that assumes that it's simply an asset that you can swap or move around, that mm. it doesn't have any kind of inherent value. And this also goes back to that resilience issue. You know, we think that workers having less control, having less influence is good for the bottom line. But increasingly, we're seeing that the reverse is the case, especially over the pandemic. 
the expertise of your workers is your competitive advantage. So treating people like machines may help you to reach a goal in the next quarter, but it's not going to help you sustain your business in the long term. Mm, so it's, mm. it's a tactical objective rather than a strategic one. Mm. And Zoomers seem to inherently understand that labor, basically them, they are a strategic asset. So sorry if this was a long diversion, but you know, you asked me if I'd learned anything. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, but you also learned that, well, we learned the, the metaverse is the internet. Yeah, I'm not going to go into this in detail either, because you know, we've covered this over the last three shows. Um, it's, it's not so much that it's something I learned. I mean, I kind of understood it, but I didn't realize that it wasn't as obvious to other people. And right. I think I didn't realize how much the different terminology confuses people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, Web3, Metaverse, Crypto, they tend to, people tend to think of them as distinct entities rather than just thinking they're all part of the internet. Yeah. Um, as you know, you were talking about NFTs earlier. Pretty mm. much everyone has an idea now of what an NFT is and what it does. Mm -hmm. Even if they just think of it at that basic level as a way to buy digital pictures. You know, it doesn't really matter. And it's kind of the same with uh, those experiments with Midjourney as well. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, I read this week that uh, OpenAI is developing a, a watermark so that it can detect whether content has been created with ChatGPT. So watch out and read those disclaimers and terms of services, uh, especially if you're writing uh, the next blockbuster movie using <laughs> ChatGPT. Uh, but all of this, all of these things, they're just different flavors of the internet. They're just different ways of unlocking the potential of what the internet can become. Uh, right. But it's, it's my turn now. I'm going to turn the tables and ask you what you've learned this year. Uh that, oh my word, where do I even start with this? Um, you're putting me on the spot. First, I think first and foremost, like moving away uh, from what I've learned via AI or, or, or all of that kind of stuff, that's something I'll, I'll touch on later. But I think genuinely, and I think this is reflective of goblin mode, um, is, is that I've realized I have too much stuff in terms of, of the tech that I have accumulated. Um, and I think a lot of that, I accumulated because one, I was bored, and two, I maybe read two or three blog posts which said something along the lines of, um, this will change your life, this will alter your life. And you know what it's like when you sat around, you're bored, and you're like, oh, really? Um, and so there are things that I've purchased this year which I was going to do a show about, but then in hindsight decided not to. Um, and it's about tech that I have obtained this year and how – it has influenced my life or affected my life in one way or another, and whether or not I can justify that piece of tech being in my life on a permanent stroke, semi-permanent basis. Some things I can, some things I can't. I can't justify some of these things. And I've also relearned, and it was a very painful lesson, that Apple just make products that work. And this is something that I tried to get away from for a long time and w was kind of vehemently saying, I will not buy Apple products again. And yet here I am at the end of the year looking at the Apple products that I purchased going, yeah, they work, don't they? And it's made my life much easier. And that 
gnaws at my soul. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think I'll, I'll leave it at that. Other than the fact that you may have created a new obsession with me temporarily with this stupid AI stuff, because it has come so fast in the last few months that I genuinely cannot believe how quickly it has changed. No, genuinely. That- yeah, genuinely, it is a bit frightening. And there there are a lot of other um, image generators out there. There's Dali and all sorts it's, it's of others. It's not just the, the image generators, Matt. You know, it, it's yeah. the other stuff as well. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, it's all of it. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's not just mid-journey that's developing so quickly. There are all kinds of other – it's yeah. chat GPT as well. When you go on to these things, as I think we said last last week – if you go back to the beginning of this year and the stage that all of these kind of chat or text to services were at, they were an interesting diversion. You might spend half an hour or an hour, but now in the space of less than a year, they've got to this point where they are so capable, Mm. but at the same time, they're still extremely limited. And that's Mm. the thing I think that we have trouble sort of reconciling we Mm. see the endless possibilities they represent but that kind of overwhelms the borders that they come Mm. with as well Mm -hmm. so we kind of forget these these kind of strictures um but going back to your (laughs) your topic of having too much stuff i would just like to to point out to uh, uh our listeners that Richard also has a new webcam that behaves like a rugby player after his 14th pint. It's like watching a hallucination. It doesn't stop moving and refocusing and going from close-ups to to long shots. I come out of these sessions with vertigo. Uh, Here's the thing. It uses AI to do that, and it won't let me stop it. There you go. The machines, the machines yeah. are taking over. Look, you know, I, I said at the the start. I mean, we've we've been joking as well. Um, I said at the start, what a terrible year twenty twenty two has been. Um, sincerely, I do hope that that next year is better. But you know, this is still the best time to to be alive, even if it does have wonky webcams. Mm, uh, mm. We're, we're getting close to vaccines for some cancers based on the same mRNA technology that allowed us to develop the COVID vaccine so quickly. Uh, I'll be interested to see how many people are still vaccine skeptic when it comes to a choice between getting a simple shot and cancer, mm. but mm. let's wait and see. Uh, mm. The James Webb Telescope is not just opening up huge tracts of space for us to look at, it's showing us our history. It's showing us how our planet, our solar system, our galaxy formed. And these pictures of our prehistory are advancing our knowledge now. They're advancing our understanding of the universe and helping us to develop the future, even if that knowledge is just going to help us build a thinner flat screen. Um, SpaceX is launching multiple space flights Every week, uh, we're already heading back to the moon. And don't know if people remember, but we did a story a few weeks ago about uh, developments in nuclear fusion. Yeah, um, harnessing the power of the sun. Yeah, or rather, you know, recreating it in these uh, giant reactors called tokamaks. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's my word of the year. I Forget goblin mode. Tokamak is my word of the year. I 
love that word. Um, and we talked about how in uh, Seoul in September, they set off a short-lived supernova. They basically created a star, a, a sun inside one of these reactors in downtown Seoul just a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so this week, um, so this is the week before Christmas, uh, the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California, which was one of the pioneers we talked about during the fusion episode, they've reached the critical milestone of creating more energy from the reaction than it took to ignite it. Now, this is so important because without that, the goal of self-sustaining nuclear fusion can only ever be a dream. It would always consume more energy than it would output. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've reached that milestone and there's so much else. You know, we're not even looking at what's around the corner. We haven't covered biological computing on the show at all, I don't think. I mean, that's something we'll have to remedy. Yeah, these, yeah. These are computers that are organic. These are devices that can potentially be stored in DNA. Uh, 3D printing, um, yes, everyone thinks it's so 2015, but it isn't. You know, we can now print entire circuits. So you can have microscopic layers of computing power that you can just apply to almost any application. Mm -hmm. uh, we can now bioprint all sorts of human cells and tissues. You know, science and technology are amazing, and they're going to be even more amazing in 2023. So, I can do positivity. Um, this is our, our last show for the year. So if you're celebrating, I, I wish you Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and thank you for listening and supporting this show. You can't deliver that line without making it sound like a nice jingle. I mean, come on. Come on. Uh, so for those of you celebrating... No, hang on, let me have another go at that. <laughs> I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you for listening and supporting my attempts to not drink. No. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to leave that in. Done. I know you are. I am, I, yes. In fact, I think you'll probably leave the, uh, the earlier bum run in as well. I don't know what you're talking about, Matthew. I thought the show was perfect. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... Thank you very much for joining us uh, throughout the year, of course. Uh, Matt, that was a great show. I really enjoyed it. And I'm so happy you got it happy towards the end. Positive. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. going to go and lie down now. I thought you might have to have a little break, a little, little nap nap. Now, where can people um, read some more of your positive um, ramblings? Uh, just come and check out the Culture Pop Substack. So substack.culturepop.com. I think I've got that the right way round. Uh, you can look for me on the social media platforms. I'm usually at some variation of Culture Mat. So yeah, come and check it out. Yeah. Uh, and if you missed any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. Uh, we recommend the BFM app. That's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'm Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.